In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. So welcome on this Sunday of our annual meeting. Some of you know that I like to do a little bit of a State of the Union during the sermon on the day of the annual meeting, so it'll be sort of half sermon and half State of the Union, in part because I know some of you will leave, <laughs> and you still need to have a sense of what's going on around the place, and in part because I, I think it helps to really draw some lines between what we do here in worship and what we'll do at the annual meeting. Those two conversations go hand in hand. They are not separate. All of these pieces of our story are important, and they all sort of feed off of each other. And so we can't draw this sort of line and say, well, I come to church here, but I don't have to stay for the meeting. Because the, the information we'll share at the meeting, though it will be more specific from me and from the officers, it's all about the same thing. And it's all about trying to do the work that God gives us to do. In the gospel this morning, Jesus is using his significant power to heal what sounds to be like quite a lot of people. First, it's someone close to one of his disciples, Simon's mother-in-law, who, when she is freed from her fever, rises up to serve. We don't even really get out of the sentence in the Greek, even really the phrase, she's healed and she gets up to serve. They sort of back up against each other. She gets her health back and she immediately finds something to do, a way to serve, a way to give back in gratitude. And then Jesus heals many, many other people. And then he waits almost, you know, sort of until the middle of the night, the early dawn, it is in the Greek. It's not quite dawn. It's sort of that moment where you can feel night turning over into the early morning. And he sneaks off by himself, probably because he needs some time to recover and refocus and to pray. And you can't blame him for that, imagining that scene of the whole city coming out and needing his attention and needing his power and needing to be healed. And still we get the sense that he doesn't get very long to rest. This is a man that is constantly in motion. And what we hear in the text is that Simon and his companions are hunting for him, which is an interesting verb, hunting, not looking. Sounds more urgent, right? And when they find him, they say this amazing thing. Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. And there's probably a whole host of implications that we could trace there, and I'm intentionally not going to. I want you just to hang on to those words. Everyone is looking for you. Are they? I'll admit, when I look around, it doesn't seem like it. A lot has been said over the last several years beyond this place about church decline. We were talking about it before the pandemic, about how much the world was changing, about how churches were less and less well attended. There were, before the pandemic, people writing books and coming up with hypotheses and new trends about how we could save the church, about how to make that better, how to move forward, some of the ideas better than others. And then the pandemic happened, and everything changed very suddenly and very dramatically. And what was a small trend in some places became this huge wave that no one could deny anymore. Something that almost every church was experiencing. 
And what was sort of a slow, nagging problem for some became a full-fledged problem for just about everyone. Now, in a few weeks, we'll pass the four-year mark since March 12th, 2020, which is the day that I closed this church with a broken heart. And it's safe to say that we and so many other churches are still struggling with the aftermath of that and with the way that the world has changed. There are lots of new currents and lots of new trends, and some of them for sure affect us more than others, but all over the country there are churches facing the same reality that we are. Attendance is down, interest is down, volunteering is down, and people are just a little more edgy. Is that a fair word? Okay, that laughter and agreement tells me that's good. Good. All right, so we're on the same page. There is this sort of nagging kind of negativity, isn't there, in the world? And it's not just in the church, but it feels to me like it's everywhere, that everyone is tired and everyone is frustrated, and there's a little less civility. And God knows if we look beyond the borders of this country, that's even easier to see. It feels like the world is a mess. Now, it's a little harder here in the church in New England than it is in other places. In the South, this wave hasn't hit them quite as hard yet, but it's coming. Every church that I know is facing some kind of recession, struggling to find resources and volunteers and figure out what happens next. So we are not alone. And the truth is that this trend started for you way back in 2014. And when you get your annual meeting book, if you haven't looked through it yet, you can look at the statistics to see that. So my point is, this was already happening, and the pandemic pushed everything into overdrive. Now, the officers and I will have some specific and more sort of meeting-oriented remarks about all that later. But I think it's important in this space to talk about some of the challenges and some of the opportunities that are before us. So the first thing that I always want to say to you is that what is true about this place and will always be true about this place is the big, wide, beating heart of this community, the heart that welcomes everyone as best that we can, this huge heart that you all have that reaches out and loves and serves people in this place and beyond. I have been a part of many Episcopal churches in my life, and I have never known a community that loves harder and better than this one. That doesn't change. There is also a deepening of faith in this place. The congregation that I came to see six years ago when I arrived is very different than the congregation that we have now. There is a, a greater understanding and a deeper sense of community and commitment. We have new faces and new members who choose to join us on this journey, and that is a wonderful and a beautiful thing, and they bring new ideas and new perspectives, and that too is fantastic. We are alive and we are growing and we are busy and we are still having an awful lot of fun. In fact, if you look at our calendar, the staff and I are still running at a pace that you were running at 15 years ago when you had two full-time clergy and a whole lot of extra staff. So your staff and your lay leadership are working really, really hard. And there is a lot of good and a lot of good for us to continue to share. So when the disciples find Jesus and they say to him, everyone is looking for you, I want to suggest to you that in reality that hasn't changed. 
everyone is looking for you. It may not seem that way, but it is still the truth. We have neighbors, of course, of other faiths who find the divine in their own way, but I'm willing to hazard a guess that there are still many of people, many of our neighbors in our community and our surrounding communities who are looking for something and they don't quite know what. Looking to fill that sort of hole in their hearts and maybe wouldn't say that they're looking for Jesus or for a community like this one, but I am willing to bet that their lives would be better if they knew that there was a place where they could be loved and supported and connected. This community, after all, is still the place where we mark the most important moments in life, where we celebrate baptisms and confirmations and weddings, and where we stand next to each other and grieve and commend our loved ones to God at funerals. We are here to comfort and strengthen and love and serve people in every moment of their lives, and we do that really well in good times and bad times, in triumph and failure. There is nothing and no community that I have ever seen that does it better than we do. And we have the good news that the world needs. We have this story that changes everything. We are part with our hands and feet of the mission of God, a mission that builds justice and kindness and mercy and indeed changes the world. And my friends, you agreed with me that the world is a little edgy and a little tired and a little angry. How much could we use that justice and kindness and compassion and mercy and peace? We have the most precious thing in all of creation to share. And the world has changed. So we have to figure out some new ways to do that. The old things won't work. The old models and methods won't work. We need new creative ideas and we need your help. We can't, I can't do it alone. Because we also have some real challenges. If you have been following along, you know that this isn't the first year of real financial challenge for us. Now, we've ended up at the end of 2023 in a strong position, even stronger than we thought, and Rob will talk about that specifically, but that was because of a lot of hard work and a little luck, and because of the generosity of so many of you who are sitting here in front of me and watching online. And we have to be transparent about the fact that it is getting harder for us to do what we do. So we need to change the way that we think about our resources and change the way that we think about God's mission. And we need to be able to rely on everyone to use what God has given you to bring your unique gifts and talents and to help us be part of God's mission in the next season. It may be that we have to decide to let go of some things that feel core to who we are in order to make room for the new things that God is calling us to do. So 2024 is going to be a year where we ask a lot, what's next? Where is God calling us to go now? Who is God calling us to be and how is God calling us to rise up and serve? What can God free us from so that we can rise up and serve? Now in the passage we heard this morning from Isaiah, Isaiah is speaking to a people in exile a people who are lost, who have been carried off from the life that they know. They literally live somewhere else. And they are looking around at a completely new place that they do not know and they do not recognize and they do not feel welcome. It is a completely new world and they are worried that they are losing themselves. 
They are worried that they are losing their way of life. They are worried that because their covenant with God is so tied into a particular place and a particular way of living, they are worried they will lose their faith and their relationship with God. They are worried about losing everything and being lost in exile forever. So they're afraid. And can you blame them? Doesn't that sound rather terrifying to be in a place where you feel trapped and to wonder if you will ever be restored to your home and to the things that make you who you are. And so this text is a part of what Isaiah says to remind them who God is. And I love how it starts. Isaiah wants to remind them that they already know these things. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Meaning you already know this truth in your bones. You already have it. You already know. So remember it. Remember what God has told you. What you have heard over and over and over again. That our God is the Holy One. Mighty and strong and powerful. The one who created all things. A God who can help us to run and walk without growing weary and without being faint. A God who is eternal and doesn't change. And so Isaiah is reminding them that even in exile, even as everything around them is changing, even as they are afraid that they might lose themselves, that if they hold on to this God, if they remember to whom they belong, that that can never happen that their identity is bound up in the eternal God who never wavers and who never grows weary and who never faints. And so because God can never be lost, they can never be lost. God always has a plan. God always makes a way. It just may not be in our time or done in our particular way. And so we may have to wait and listen and try to understand the glory that God is revealing. So I want to encourage you all to stay for this meeting, to hear more about the wonderful year that we had last year, and to think about what is ahead, about how together we can rise up and serve each other and God and our neighbors. If this place has loved you and supported you and helped form you and your family, if you have been healed by God in this place, if you have come to this table and received God's grace and mercy, then rise up with us and serve. Think with us about how we can share the good news of God. Be grateful for a tradition that invites you to be a minister, not just me. And help us as we continue to welcome everyone into this community and into the eternal loving heart of God. Wonder about what you can do and help us to find our footing in this new world, in a world that isn't entirely unlike exile. It feels very different to us. And yet, rather than tracing the steps back, we need to move forward and look ahead and listen for what God has in mind as we are grateful for what's been and for what is. Let's be grateful for each other and move forward together with mutual respect and trust, trusting that God knows where we're headed even if we aren't quite sure. We need only listen and follow 
and wait for that glory to be revealed. Amen.